0: Everything that is of value that is around you, somebody's work produced, right? And to think that your highest aspiration in life is to not have to do that, I think is pretty sad.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Oliver Crow, a second grade student and an aspiring YouTuber, and you're listening to the Vance Crow Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, I'm glad you're here. Today, we sit down with Dave Helland. Dave is a the owner of a very high end construction company, and he's also a mountain climber. We started talking via email after he'd listened to a few podcasts, and one time I offhandedly said, "If you're willing to make the drive down here, I'd love to have you on." So Dave took a six hour trip and arrived here at the studios, and we had a fantastic conversation. Not only did we talk about the whole process of managing people and keeping employees for many many years. But we also talked about work ethic and overcoming challenges in your mind that keep you from doing the things that you know you should do. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I find many of the things that Dave said during this conversation rattling around in my brain. We're going to get to that interview in just a moment, but first, I wanted to tell you about an email I received the other day. I've been doing legacy interviews for a couple of years now, and unfortunately, sometimes guests that I've interviewed pass away. Sometimes it is expected, and sometimes it comes out of nowhere. The email I received talked about being able to set the legacy interview up during the visitation so that hundreds of people that knew this loved one could see and hear their voice. At the end of the email, the person that had hired me to record the conversation with their grandparents said, thank you so much. Now, no matter what happens, I can always see my grandfather laugh and tell stories, and it's almost like he's here with me. I share this with you because if you've been thinking about doing a legacy interview, it is one of those things that you can't go back in time and get again. If you're interested in having me sit down with one of your loved ones so that they can tell you about their stories, about the life that they led, and the history that they experienced, so that that way future generations can hear their laugh and know them in a totally wonderful and caring way, then go to LegacyInterviews.com to find out more. All right, without further ado, let's head to the interview with Dave Helland. Dave Helland, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So how did you get into the construction industry?
0: Well, um, it's I guess in college, I went to Iowa State University. So um, back in like 94, I think it was 94, I started working at a lumber yard. And um, it was Litzel Lumber in Ames, Iowa, and just doing all the things that you do at a lumber yard. And one day I talked to a contractor, Jim Fagan, who came into the counter, who I really liked, and just asked if he needed any help. And he said, sure. So I started working with him like on nights and weekends. And um, then he had two other guys that he shared work with. And so there was three contractors, and they bounced me around, and that's how I finished out my college years. And they, they really were good at what they did, and they enjoyed it.
1: And when you were in college, were you imagining that you would become a construction
0: worker? <laughs> <artist? laughs> no, it's kind of a funny story, because you know when they give you, in high school, they give you those tests that are supposed to, like, figure out what you're going to do for a living? So I took it, and it said something like a woodworker. And I just thought, that was so ridiculous. I just, you know, that was dumb. I laughed about It said these things are garbage. They don't, you know, because totally didn't want to do it. My dad, so my dad was an appliance salesman at Sears, and you know, he, we didn't have a lot of money, and his belief was get an education to be able to get a job and then hold on to it with both hands and don't do anything stupid to get fired. So I majored in accounting. So I went through two years of accounting and then thought like, you know, well, I don't want to be an accountant. What the hell am I going to do now? Changed majors to environmental planning, was going to like work for the Forest Service or something like that. And then just stumbled into construction um, by working at that lumberyard. And then my last year of college, I I started my own deal. And it's what I've done ever since. Oh, you
1: started it right out of college.
0: Yeah, right in college. My last year, I went part-time so I could do these little small jobs
1: on my own. And so I joke that I've never had a real job. And it's true. (laughs) It's so funny because if if some kid were to say, I'm not going to go to college, I'm going to go work construction, the automatic cultural reaction would be, oh, this kid's like a screw-up or he's not going to make very much of yeah. himself. Why, why, why is that in our culture that way?
0: You know, I, I think it's the natural evolution, right? Like working with your hands was hard, and, and life got easier for the world and the country in general, and people um, sought ways to earn a living that weren't, wasn't so physically hard. It all made perfect sense. But then somewhere in the last generation, I just think we've lost that, the value, I mean, the the, the respect, I guess I, I should say, for people who do that kind of work. And, and I think we're seeing it now. Like uh, in the central Iowa area, you know, it used to be that there's so many guys like me fighting for work and there wasn't enough work. Well, now there's so much work and there's not enough skilled people to do it. And now maybe that won't last forever, but we need lots of people to be able to do that. But we've got to be able to give a better... Uh, reason for them to do that. I mean, we've got to treat people with respect and we've got to pay them more. And that means everything's got to cost more. And so it's very complex to solve. Uh, most of the guys that worked for me, you know, uh, started college and didn't finish. So it's just that kind of progression. And I'm hoping that we can get construction to be a more intentional destination
1: for people in the future. I think it's funny because if you go read the book, like, um, any book about the way the weimar republic inflation just ran totally Mm -hmm. wild the people that were actually okay in the wildly inflationary environments were plumbers construction workers people that were doing things that you needed to be done because it doesn't matter how much the the wages get inflated they're just going to keep demanding more and more higher prices
0: your roof goes bad you need a roofer and so and that's as globalization is doing its thing too and is is has has changed the markets you start to see like you know what it might be better to be a really good contractor than kind of just a industry standard computer guy right because you can't at least yet can't do what we do uh through some other complex system that doesn't involve boots on the ground
1: yeah and there's definitely this like concept about um scaling your time. I know when I first started doing these legacy interviews and people would be like, oh, are you gonna hire somebody else to do the interviews? I'm like, no, I wanna do the interviews. Yeah. And they're like, well, you can't scale that way. Right. But there's something to being like a truly great craftsman at right. something where maybe you don't have to scale and have the like leverage of capitalism and instead you're able to use your skills.
0: That's the, that's the epic struggle. Um, well, epic might be too strong a word, but that's the struggle in, in my business because ever since the beginning, You know, first of all, I started doing all the work myself, you know, just me doing the labor. Then you hire a guy, then you hire another guy. Well, then there does become a point where it's so, I mean, the the billing and the bidding, it becomes so burdensome. Your life is kind of terrible because you're trying to do the work on site, but you're constantly pulled in so many directions and your work is actually not as good then. So the solution is you get a few guys and then I manage them and I'm the customer contact that system works but everybody since the beginning is trying to tell me to get bigger you gotta get bigger you gotta hire people you got anything that you can hire somebody to do you should you should do that and i've just seen it fail too many times in other companies um and, and my definition of failure is the product they're putting out and the service they provide to their customers diminishes in quality and, you know, I've dealt closely with owners of, of companies that are subcontractors, and it's great. Well, then they got the guy then. And then I'm talking to the guy instead of the owner, and that guy doesn't care like the owner does. And eventually, by the time the problems get to the owner, they're just bigger problems, and I don't see how anybody's life got better. So I have fought against that, maybe maybe too stubbornly, um, and I just don't see any way that I can take me out of the system and have it be what I want it to be and I guess it's my company
1: so that's the choice I've made yeah there's truly like a tension there right where it's something akin to like you need to be able to trust other people to do stuff you need to be able to lead them to wanting to do the same quality that you can but at the end of the day you are, only, you are the one that is going to care about that the most.
0: Yeah, and, and so I've had a lot of people tell me, oh, you got to be able to let go. It's like, well, I did let go of my trade that I loved. I love being a carpenter. I mean, I just love the work. I mean, and every now and then when I get a taste of it again and the old skills that are rusty, they come back. It's like, oh, it's glorious. But I've got guys. Uh, one guy has worked for me. Ben, he's, he's amazing. Worked for me for 22 years now, I think, maybe 23. I lose track. And, you know, trained him from when he was young and, and he does incredible work. So the guys that work for me, all of them do amazing work. So I entrust them with that. Um, but dealing with the emotions of clients and all of the complexity of the relationships and then obviously the end product that ties all that together maybe I'm short-sighted, but I don't see a way to farm that out to somebody else. And I just don't, I guess I don't want to try.
1: What is the secret to being able to keep somebody for 20 some odd years?
0: Well, um, you know, it's something that, that's a good question. Um, At the, you know, a few years you can coast with anybody, right? Until, because the guy's just comfortable and inertia keeps it together. Well, I started to realize what, Ben and Lee and Mark and Travis, what the guys really want is autonomy on their work. Um, So I don't micromanage. But then the biggest thing, like for the first 10 years, I I was sensitive about giving other people credit. Like I wanted, it was mine, my company. You know, like somebody would say, oh, those guys do a really good job. And I, you know, I'm like, yeah, I do a good job because I I show them how to do it. You know, and just sensitive like that. For maybe the last, I'd say maybe it's even the last 10 years. I'm kind of a slow learner. I realized that just no, those guys are the reason. They are the one I mean, I'm not I really don't have much without them. So in front of customers, and I'd say, yeah, these guys, how good they are, and how just I mean, you can set your watch by them. They're 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 full of integrity, they're hard work, they're skilled, they care about what they do. I mean, these guys are incredible. And I tell them that. And so I think that matters. That and really good pay. <laughs> <laughs> what is really good pay in the construction industry right now? Uh, you're pushing 50 bucks. 50 bucks an hour? Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. yeah, now that's at the highest level of, of of work. And still, you know, you think about it like that's a lot of money when you're paying somebody to do construction. It's not a lot. They're not getting rich on it, working hard every day, right? But it's good living. And, you know, these guys, um, they start early. They, um, you know, like starting at six thirty or seven and they can be done at three thirty. and, you know, it's a pretty solid life. And they just, they go home feeling good every day, uh, take a shower and they got the rest of their evening. And so that's what they like about that life.
1: What is the construction industry state of the union right now?
0: Well, central Iowa is all I know. And, um, it's, it's changing right now. I mean, new construction, the, the, well, so I guess I should tell you, first of all, I'm kind of in a weird little niche. Like I, I'm, I i do not hardly even know what's going on in new developments or anything. Um, I would do a lot of remodeling and do a handful of custom homes, uh, normally one or two custom homes a year. Just, and it's the kind of house where it's somebody's last home, um, you know, just really high
1: quality, yeah, the details They're, is what I noticed. So I watched a few videos of yours, and it's like, oh man, somebody walks into this house, and you realize like, this is not an accident that they did that to their no. shower, that the fireplace is set up this way, that the the porch leads off in this exact it's way. It's
0: very personalized, and that's the thing. The, the people that hire me are, are, are people that they value their homes, and they value that environment. They want it to be, they want it to be just right, and that's what I talk to people about. You know, if you How important is it to walk into your house and just feel good, to have everything just right, just the way you want it? If it's not important, then this is a ridiculous uh, financial expenditure that's not worth it. If it's important, then we work together to create everything to be exactly the way they want it. Now, that takes years. I mean, we're talking like a couple years of planning normally before we get started on a project and then These days, it's like a year to do these big houses. So what I'm getting at is I don't do very much, but I do very personalized things. So my side of the world is kind of the same as it's always been. Um, But new construction, otherwise, like spec homes and all that, it's pretty much shut down right now. Really? Mm -hmm. Because, you you know, these guys on construction loans paying 8% interest now, where it was, you know, three and a half or four. And they just anyone that was sitting on houses is trying to dump them. So there's some weird times coming. Um, but it's weird times that I've never experienced because like the two thousand eight two thousand nine crash was a whole different animal. You know, um, it was vicious, had the same effect, but with low rates, it was more just a um, you know, it was a um, excessive inventory. Crash because um, people are losing their jobs, couldn't make their payments with the adjustable rate mortgages. So all this stuff hit the market, foreclosures, short sales, uh, put pressure on uh, spec you know spec homes that were under construction because all the prices were going down. Well, now it's just guys can't afford to build them. So what does that mean? We really don't know. You know, my dad experienced you know the 80s, and that took a few years to work out that you know debacle. So um, answer the That's a long answer to your question, but we're strong. Lots of demand, but it's changing and don't quite know
1: where it's going to go. Yeah, it's such a wild time because we've spent so many years where if you were willing to take risk, a bank would happily write oh, yeah. you that loan and you could be buying a house, you could be upgrading. And I think a lot of the world spent like, hey, I've been in this house for three years. Now I'm going to you know, sell this, take that money and roll it up into another house and upgrade. And all of that stuff is just frozen because who's going to give up their 3% interest for 8%? Well,
0: yeah, and I'm trying to process that too. And, and then, so I had a thought about that the other day and I thought, well, yeah, who'd do that? And I thought, well, okay, did all of a sudden everybody in the world get highly disciplined and they're not going to make poor financial choices? <laughs> you know, I think there's going to be probably, um, I think it's an adjustment period. Like, for instance, my first house that I bought in 2000 had a 7% interest rate. And I remember my dad was like, wow, what a great rate that is. Because, you know, he was used to 16 and 13%. And so, um, you know, when you're taking on a mortgage now, it's like, you know, I think it's in the sixes now. So it's not what it was, but eventually I think people just get going again and just like, this is what we got.
1: And they figure out how to make it work. Well, all I know is, that it's, so I do all these legacy interviews and I sit with people that went through the 80s and like. The indelible mark that that left on them where they said, you know, I went to bed one night and we were not under the thumb of our bank and we woke up the next day and all of a sudden the bank is calling our note, you know, the pressure. And this is a pressure that like I have not seen as an adult. And I think most of our culture has no idea how they will react when that pressure starts building.
0: Yeah, it's, that's the thing. It's like in my career, I've seen these seen these crashes. You know, we had the 2000 Tech crash, we had the 9-11 scare, and we had 2008, 2009. And these were all, you know, genuine catastrophes. But this one's different. So um, my, my hope is that, I, I guess I've built my business on doing lots of different things in lots of different towns you know, just kind of never too dumb to turn down anything really over the years. And it was part strategy, part, um, desperation in the early years. And I think I just, I hope that we're insulated from, um, from running out of work. And, um, I'm optimistic that we're going to get through this one too. I
1: mean, I think you're in a position, I mean, I don't know what, what your working world is like, but when I look at what you're doing, like, if somebody wants, like, high-end quality work, you can't just go out and find someone that, like, does what you do. There's very, very few out there. It's pretty tough. Um, the
0: challenge is
1: in construction, uh,
0: I, I talk to cu- clients about this a lot. You know, there's, you get a young guy who's got a strong back. He goes out. And there's just low barriers to entry. So all of a sudden, you can just be, you can be a contractor. You know, in the state of Iowa, we don't have any uh, strict licensing requirements or anything. So if you got a person with a lot of charisma sitting across the table from you, telling you the things you want to hear, um, it's people fall prey to that a lot, and they think they're getting what um, what they want, but they're not. Um, now the more sophisticated clients that have gone through different experiences over the years um, see that coming. So as I'm getting older, my clients are getting older too, and so um, that's changed everything too. But you know, there's just a lot of you know, there's just a lot. There's actually, honestly, there's just a lot of fraud and bad players in construction, and I have to compete directly with them, and that's been hard
1: over the years. Yeah, I think that there could be people that uh, you know. I worked in construction for a while, and people—it's very easy to get over your skis, right? To start making oh, promises man. you can't keep, and then all of a sudden, two people are in a tense mm-hmm. spot. And when you're in the middle of doing a renovation, your kitchen is torn up. The homeowner feels like they're being held over a barrel. The the guy that's doing the contracting is like hey, things changed or we opened this thing up and it didn't look like we thought. And you can see how two people would have interests in getting their way to work out.
0: It's really, you know, the whole construction process, especially remodeling, but even new, it's just emotionally fraught. Because, you know, this is one of the biggest things at the time. It's normally the biggest thing anyone has taken on. And throughout your whole life, it's going to be one of the biggest things. And, you know, there's so in residential construction, to, it's it's so personal and it's so emotional and people are so scared and it's always so much money. I mean, it's, it's you know, you go into it, whatever people go into it with the bad numbers, like a house that whatever you wanted a house to cost five years ago is the number that sticks in your head. And we're all, you know, we're twice that. Um, and it's hard. And then to go through that process and have something go wrong, which it does all the time um, it causes a lot of conflict, but I, 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 try to communicate that to clients ahead of time. There's these emotional trajectories and, you know, you're gonna be super excited. And then someday you're going to walk in and you're going to see something. And you're going to be like, what the hell? That's not what I wanted. And I just try to tell them, like, you don't need to yell at me. You don't need to be upset. All you need to do is point out that that's not exactly what you wanted. And I'm going to get on and we're going to make it what you want. Um, but, You know, people are people, and it's just um, the stresses of people's personal lives also, you know, take such a toll. Because when we're working with somebody for years, things happen. I mean, there's deaths in the family. There's job losses. There's sicknesses. There's just all kinds of trouble in life, and that gets brought to the table sometimes, too, as we all do. So I really just try hard to make this connection with people. Stay hope help them stay hopeful that the end will come and you're gonna love it when we're done. But until then, it's kind of a grind and it's not a whole lot of fun most of the time. In remodeling, I always tell people like there's two different views. Like you try to live in your house when you're remodeling it, you know. Well, let's, let's say you move out, you'll come and you'll be like, oh wow, look at everything they they did. This is looking great. But if you're living there, you'll come home and see the same work. You're know? like. <laughs> What did they even do today? I don't even see this. And so um, it's just managing the psychology of it is a big part of what I do.
1: One of the hardest things in life, I think, is uh, coming to the realization that things always break and like nothing goes right. Yeah. And I think like I'm I'm in my 40s and I still had, you know, th- something went wrong this morning. And I'm like, oh, how could this possibly be? How could this <laughs> thing possibly break? And And then you're like, because everything breaks all the time and it's hard not to become a cynic in, yeah. that, in that way but everything does break so i had an old banker i knew years ago he, he said
0: it best um there was a friend of mine that went to him and it was going to get loan you know borrow money and and i said hey phil what do you think of you know so and so he says well he seems like a really nice young man that hasn't had his ass kicked yet <laughs> and i'm like Ah, I get it, and totally get it now. Because at you know at some point early in life you think that just through sheer force of will, you can make everything go your way, right? And we can't underestimate what effort can accomplish. But in the end, you you know you don't control enough to keep these things from happening, and it's how
1: you react to them. But man, why does it take so long to learn that? Yeah, I mean the emotion of anger is such a wasted emotion. And it has taken me years to learn that where you're like, I'm really frustrated. And even I'm not the type of person that points my anger at someone, Uh but I like, I'll call up my brother. I'll call somebody and be like, I'm so mad at this. (laughs) (laughs) But like, like you get a little bit away, away from anger. And you're like, that anger didn't help me do a single thing. All it did was blind me to everything that was going on. So destructive. So this guy I climb with whose dad was a psychologist
0: um, his dad used to tell him, you know, he said, you know, Matt, how do you feel? He said, I'm angry. He said, no, no, no. Anger is, not an emotion. Anger is a reaction. What do you feel? And he's teaching like anger is just a reaction to something else. I thought, wow, that's pretty powerful that I never thought of. And you know, that when you have a, uh, when you have a client that's quick to anger, you know, and there's lots of things that you can be angry about in a construction process it's really hard to keep your cool. But then, um, I always, I'm getting so much better at it, but I'm not as good as I want to be, you know, cause I take it personally. And I, I told this guy, you know, a few weeks ago, I just said, I said, I'm, you know, when you're yelling at me like this, it just, I'm, I, it hits me hard. It cuts me deep. I, I really want you to be happy. And so when you're upset like this at me, it just, I'm telling you, it affects me to the core. So um, you don't need to go that far to get my attention, you know, and he listened, which was good. But I'm trying just to take a minute and explain how much I care. And that seems to work most of the
1: time. Yeah, I mean, I think most of the time when people feel emotion you or like anger, you're right. And most of the time, the, uh, the thing that's behind anger certainly was for me, like this morning, when I think about how angry I was, it is actually worry. But I don't want to be a worrier. Right? Yeah, like, no, I don't want to be the type no. of person that's like, I'm not no, sure how this is going to handle. Going to <laughs> so it is so much easier to be angry than it is to be like, all right, if this thing goes this way, I'll have to deal with this. And if it goes that way, I'll have to deal with it this way. But that, like, it, it feels so much easier to be angry. Having a
0: tendency towards uh, anger enables me to make one good sales pitch to clients because i i tell them like basically when i'm going through their projects i think of everything in life that angers me and then i i want to avoid that for them so i'm like well i don't know i'm thinking like walking in this you know going to bed at night and got to walk over there to turn that light switch off and walk over there and turn that that would make me angry at night would that make you angry yeah, maybe that would. It's okay, let's switch him over here. You know, so all these little funny things like that, and just like it's all about avoiding anger, is what I tell them. and, um, and that seems to soften things up a lot.
1: So you have a tattoo on your arm, and it's uh, the the branches that reach towards heaven uh, require the roots that reach towards hell. We yep. were kind of talking about this before, yep. Carl, the Carl Jung, Jung idea. Mm-hmm. Why is that something you emblazoned on your arm? Um, I, you know,
0: well. The tendency towards anger, where's that coming from, right? And and so I guess in the last 10 years, but certainly more focused in the last five years, I've just tried to understand myself better. And through some reading, I mentioned Jordan Peterson and others, you know, these ideas aren't unique. They've been around forever. Try to understand, like, you know, shine a light on that. Like, what is going on? Deep inside me that makes me do these things that are destructive to myself or people I love. You know, I mean, why would I want to lash out at my wife for something that is, you know, look back retroactively? It's just ridiculous, right? So it's digging deep. And it seems to me like when you, if you can take the time and look in these dark places and try to understand what is deep inside and shine the light on it it seems to negate the power of the negative impulses to me that's my approach so that's why i put it there as a reminder just to just to always be aware of what's driving me and then the other one is the know thyself concept you know it's just like if if you can't know why you're doing things then you're just an out of control person and i don't want to be that
1: what are those kind of uh easy reactions or the ones that are the the dark ones that you're talking about um i have a I I
0: I have a deep like fear of poverty basically that's one thing just you know growing up we certainly weren't destitute or anything but my you know my parents struggled for money and that like there was enough stress about money in the family um that 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 left its mark on myself and my brother and my sister we all have the same thing and um so that's something and I have to constantly keep that in check in business because if you're if you let that fear seep into what is right that's how you make a bad decision that's how you become a dishonest person That's exactly right. You know, it's like, I'm afraid that I'm going to lose money on this thing, so now I'm going to talk myself into how it's really not my fault, how I'm really not the wrong one. It's that person who's the wrong one. And I have been really good, really good at fighting that off over the years and stayed absolutely honest, and and I take my beating financially if it's my fault. Um, And, you know, and fault is also a nebulous thing too, because, you know, the, in with the informal conversations and all that in construction, you know, I'm responsible to make sure that they know what they're getting. And if they don't, I did something wrong. So even though I always intended to do this, if they thought something else was coming, whose fault is that? It's probably mine. So that's, that's one thing. Um, you know, I have a deep, deep need to be right that has been a curse in my life and I just like I it's just like take gotta have make a point like that's you know that's what I said or I was right or you see it coming and and it's it's toxic to do that and people see that you know friends or family can see that I remember my ex-wife always used to say you know you know you always think you're right of course I think I'm right. That's why, you know, how Does anybody could, think they're you wrong? Know, I mean, I'd be crazy. if I, was, But the meaning behind that I was obviously uh, willfully blind to. And it's that I wasn't open enough to the ideas of others to allow them to be expressed freely and think like, huh, well, that's a good point. Tell me more about that. Instead, I had to come back and make a counterpoint. And I'm a lot better about that now, too um so you know those are two things i i struggle with um you know i'm very very independent and so i make my plan and when something when somebody gets in there and messes with my plan um i get i get angry and so fighting off those impulses um and that's mostly a lot of this stuff is personal life stuff you know business i just know the game and like you got to control yourself. But then, you know, when you use all that up and you come home in your personal life and you're not as well disciplined as in business, then that is what turns life pretty sour. So all of these things are things I'm working on.
1: Yeah, that bridge between the moment when you're working and the thing you're providing for is your family back home yeah. and then you like come home and you, you drag home the stress of things. Right. It didn't really impact me until I had kids when it was just me and my wife, it was like easy enough to be maybe not that kind to or whatever, but to have the kids all around, this, this like amplifies it by many orders of magnitude.
0: And I never had kids in the house until um, 2020 um, when I, so I was married for 12 years, got divorced back in 2010, spent uh, 10 years alone, lived alone for 10 years, and then, um, then met heather in 2018 and uh, moved in with her and our boys now drake and brody we got married in 2021 so yeah i'm a new father um uh, drake is 16 brody's 13 and so that's a whole new experience um so but my ex-wife used to say that i use up all my niceness on my customers (laughs) (laughs) and you know she was right and um and i'm i'm better about that and Heather's a businesswoman too there. She's a, she's a realtor, very successful realtor in the Des Moines area. So, you know, we both have big careers and we both help each other just keep perspective on that. And sometimes it's me helping her, uh, keep her head together. And sometimes it's her dragging me back from the edge of being a lunatic.
1: And to me, that's what being married is all about. Yeah. You mentioned before about, um, the challenge like when somebody's integrity gets challenged right it's like the opportunity is when there's actual tension like this is going to cost me money to have this thing and as i was hearing you say this i realized like i am not as much a money hoarder as i am a time hoarder oh and like if somebody is infringing on my time uh this is when i i become like uh bitter and and very upset and but it strikes me as Probably anything that people uh, try and protect or they value is yeah. the thing that can also guide you towards making bad decisions.
0: Yeah, and uh, as far as time too, you know, my personal passions are important to me because I, I, I do feel like I need them to keep my head together, to be who I want to be, to be a good person. I need to put efforts towards towards these things, and so when they start getting squeezed, you know. I feel the same way that you just said. I just get, I get so upset about that. And I feel, I start feeling hopeless because it's like, if I can't just set this time and and do that, then what? Then, so, you know, you can expand outward with the then what's, uh, which is not necessarily a good strategy, but it's, I've seen friends just suffer this fate where they just slowly eroded all the things they love and the things they used to do for themselves and it just gets eroded it just gets nibbled away all from good things too nothing bad but little by little but little by little and then 10 years go by and now you don't have anything other than your responsibilities now your responsibilities are good and they give you meaning but to me you need a break from that um I believe everybody does and I think I can only speak for men in particular definitely do
1: yeah so talk about some of your hobbies you're a climber I'm a climber. Yeah.
0: I'm a new, um, well, somewhat new, uh, 20. Well, after I got divorced, uh, back in 2010, I started going on hikes by myself out to Colorado. It's been several days and it just it was extraordinary experiences. I went in through Rocky mountain national national park up into the, um, never summer wilderness. And I was just all by myself, you know, for three days, four days, you don't see another person. And it was just this incredible way to just fix my, my mind. Um, And so I just go on more and I start climbing little mountains on my own out there. Um, And then I got invited to go in 2016, got invited to go on a climb in Mexico. And we did three peaks in Mexico. It's La Malinche, um, Ixta, which is Ixtaxuatl, I think it is, and Pico de Orizaba, which is over 18,000 feet. And it was just this searing, mind-blowing, life-changing experience for me. And I was on fire for climbing ever since.
1: Searing is an interesting
0: way to describe that. It was just, it was so hard because I was totally not prepared for that level. I mean like, you know, typical um, newbie uh, mountaineer where you expend every ounce of energy to get to the top and like there's nothing left when you're at the top. Well, that's pretty, that's pretty dangerous. And coming down just a disastrous mess could barely even get down.
1: And so, but I just, and when you say rock climbing, you're talking like I'm putting my fingers in the crevices and like holding myself well, on the wall. There's face.
0: good question. So in the interim years, I've done all of it. So there, you know, there's rock climbing, which is just actually glorious fun. It's just beautiful the whole time. It's just sheer joy, and then there's mountaineering, which is grinding yourself up high elevation through the snow, and that's kind of type two fun. Like it's horrible the whole time. Um, and, and then you summit and you come down, and it's amazing. And then I've done big wall climbing, you know, where you're up the sheer vertical faces. Um, you know, I'm, I'm building skills on all of it ice climbing, done that. So just slowly building all these skills. I wouldn't say I'm really good at any of it, but uh, having a lot of great experiences. And what's the draw towards it? It's the only thing I've found. I mean, it, uh, in 2016, it like I, I feel like this overstay I feel like it kind of saved me because it's like the only thing I've ever found that took me clear out of everything in life. It was so hard, and there was so much discomfort. All of the all of the things that make us soft at home are not out on the mountain. You know, all comfort is gone. It's harsh conditions. It's just this um, indifferent. Uh, surroundings like it's just going to be the same whether you're there or not whether you're alive or dead and then once you just get in this rhythm of climbing and squeezing every bit of energy out of yourself it's and you, you get past the mental blocks and there's literally no thoughts it's and that's the only thing i've ever had to be able to do that i was a crappy meditator i tried that i could couldn't stay there very long but i can do it for hours climbing a mountain and then the moment Every time, the moment where I know I'm going to make it to the top, where I know there's no doubt anymore, I start crying. It's the craziest thing. And then you get to the top and it's glorious. And then you got to grind yourself down. And it's terrible coming down because it's always hard. And then you got the beautiful
1: experience once you're down. And when you feel that overwhelming sense to cry, it's joy. It's... it's- It's something
0: else. I don't know what it is. It's just like this release of just, I don't even know what the meaning is. It's like, it's a relief. It's a joy. It's a release of everything negative. I think it's just all at once. I've I've never had that experience with anything else. So I seek it as often
1: as I can. And when you're climbing, have you ever had a point where if you didn't have the rope on, you'd have been Fallen to your death?
0: Um, so I have, never, um, I have never fallen, but I did have my partner fall. Uh, we were climbing Mount Blanc in France. And I was, I mean, very new at it. It was, it was in 2017. Went over to climb um, Mount Blanc and the Matterhorn, and we were going to do the Eiger. And so Mount Blanc was the first one, and we were climbing in a whiteout, and there's this knife-edge snow ridge. So you got, you know, about that much solid snow to walk on, but then it's kind of corniced, where the snow kind of blows over, so it's, there's nothing underneath it, but you kind of, it's white out, so you couldn't really tell where it was when my partner stepped through the cornice and (laughs) fell. So we're tied together with a rope, and we got ice axes, or you know, mountain axes. And so he fell, and I dropped down to the self-arrest position, where you jam the axe into the snow, and then the rope caught, and it held him, and then he climbed back up so that would have that would have been a bad day for both of us if i hadn't self-arrested properly so that was the only time it's actually been a near-death experience
1: and if you don't get the axe down there and stop you're going over the side of a mountain yeah down down the
0: slope end up in a crevasse somewhere and just disappear
1: you probably have to really care about who your partner is then yeah
0: there's so much trust involved and and i've always been not always, but most of the time i'm the less experienced one because i'm going individually with guides or that particular partner was highly experienced um you know he summited Everett's twice and um he just made a mistake that day but that's i think the draw to the climbing and the mountaineering is just the responsibility of it too you'd be just like like if you do everything right you're gonna be okay most of the time (laughs) you know there's there's some objective hazards that you don't control but Um, If you make good decisions, do everything right, it's not that unsafe, Um, but if you do something wrong, it's terribly unsafe, and I guess I like that, I guess I just like that whole idea that that you're
1: responsible for your own existence. The time hoarder in me, like, uh, sits here and and imagines, like, flying all the way there, getting ready, getting your gear going, like, climbing, it seems like such an enormous amount of time. It's a lot. It's a lot. And, you know, so if you're going on like a two week trip, the thing
0: is, a two week climbing trip is enough to like forget about work and everything. You know what I mean? So um, normally what I do when I travel is I'm working on the plane all the way. I spend a day in a hotel room when I get there, just getting the last of work wrung out of me. And then I stay pretty focused on climbing uh, when I do that. And, you know, and I can pull that off once a year, which, which is a beautiful thing to be able to do that. Um, I, you know, it takes a lot of effort to be gone from a small company because the things that I do don't get done when I'm not there, you know? So it just takes a tremendous amount of collaboration between people and connecting everybody. You know, it takes a month of preparation, just communication wise for me to be gone for a couple of weeks, but man,
1: I come back just a different person. So it's, um, it's really important to me. When you said before that you have a moment or some time with no thoughts, Tell me about that.
0: Yeah, it's so I find that when I start to get really normally on a summit day, um, start to get really fatigued and really, you know, just physical stress is extreme. My mind starts to attack me and you start to say like, this is stupid. What are you doing? Why do you think you need to be doing this? You should be working. You should be with your family. You should be, should be, should be just tries to tear you down. And if I can persevere through that, which I do, it's like I redirect my thoughts to just, I think about like my toes and my ankles and my calves and my knees and like all the way up, like the whole body, just think about my body working. And then it just like, there's literally no thoughts. It's just one foot in front of the other or if you're climbing with your hands or your ax too, I mean, that's it. There's no thinking about the future there's no thinking about the past there's just that moment
1: and that's what makes it beautiful for me do you wish you were able to think like that all the time like hey this is the only
0: yeah um you know the mindfulness man i try um i try i really try to stay tuned into the moment. And I, in, in particular, when I spend time with Heather, I really, really do my best to just, you know, let's say, we're together. If we're, if we got other things that we got to do, let's go do that. And then let's get together and be just with us. Uh, but, you know, the world we live, I mean, you know, geez, the watch is buzzing at you, the phone's in your pocket. Um, it really takes a lot of effort to be able to have that mindfulness in the moment and I will say that I don't take that effort or make that effort enough
1: yeah I was just talking with a guy today who does like uh ultra high net worth uh individual like wealth management and uh, I was saying you know the the best part about making money more money than what I was when I started and you you keep growing and growing is that you have time and to me wealth is time yeah and but he kind of corrected me and was like well actually what wealth is, is the ability to be present with whatever you're doing. It's not just your time. It's that you have to be able to be like sitting there and paying attention to the thing that you want to be paying attention to and that you're able to embrace yeah. it. And I think about that and I think like uh, the, the mother that has the screaming child that has just come home from working for 10 hours and just wants like a few minutes of time with that child where it's peaceful. Like it's ripped away. Like real wealth is about being able to be present with the people or things that you want to be present
0: with. Yeah. And that's back to the controlling the the anger, controlling the emotions, right? Because what? So, what is that? Like, so, so the, we all want peace, but you can't get peace in li- daily life it's really not entertaining because everything breaks right because everything breaks and people are people and you're crazy we're all nuts I mean you know if somebody else like for instance driving in traffic you know it's like when somebody you, you, eventually you're going to be the idiot you're going to be the guy that pulls out in front of somebody and somebody's like honking and giving you the finger and I'm like oh come on man like it was you yesterday you know what I mean <laughs> it, it, it's like but we're all I don't know I think we expect too much of other people I think that's one thing and um, maybe not enough of ourselves or maybe, but then I
1: could make the argument that we expect too much of ourselves. I mean, see, what's the right, what's the right balance? Um, well, I'm, and I think about that balance you were talking about on the rocks, right? Like you were saying, your brain starts saying, what are you doing out here? You, you idiot. Like I know that, that self-talk exactly. Right. And why does your brain turn on you? Like I that? Don't know. why does it do these things where it's like, uh, you know, hey, it, you you deserve this indulgence. You deserve to not have to work that hard, or to, to have that extra bowl of ice cream. Well,
0: why is everything okay? Th- this why is everything good the hardest thing? That's the real interesting question. Like the right thing is the hardest thing. So, like I always tell my guys, like I don't have to tell them this anymore because they're so experienced. But years ago, when they're facing the decision, should they do something this sh- this way or that way? I'm like, whichever way takes the most time and is the hardest, that's the right choice. You don't even need to ask me. It's always the right choice. Because the only reason you're thinking about it is because you don't want to have to do that.
1: That's a good point. Yeah, so
0: like, don't, I mean, so think about the options. It's like, okay, that seems easier. That seems harder. Just do the harder one. You're not going to be wrong, you know? And so, but then that runs right up against the idea that, oh, life is short and you're supposed to enjoy yourself and like, but then if all of life is just enjoying yourself, I mean, you're going to be eating garbage all the time. You're going to be hanging around doing nothing, what is supposed to be enjoyment. Okay, so years ago, I came after I got divorced, trying to get my head together, get my own habits in order. Like I could, I got two choices to make here. I could get weird and and fall apart or I could get better. So I chose better, whatever that might be. And I start... Thinking about all the things that everybody thinks is a waste of time, so like cooking meals, oh cooking meals, what a waste of doing dishes, cleaning your house, like oh I mean all these stupid things that you got to do. And work, work itself is a waste of time because you're supposed to be doing something else. Wasting your life working, so I'm thinking about all this. I'm like, well, so work is bad, and like cooking is bad I'm like what are we aspiring to do and for all I could decipher from that in 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 that calculus was that watching tv or drinking with people is like the highest aspirations of life right and then I'm thinking well that doesn't seem right so I embraced all these things I'm thinking like I looked at one time I was hunting I was sitting in a tree stand and I looked at the animals just like going through their life doing what they do and I'm thinking well like that's for us that's all these things you know it's the daily tasks that make up life and that's what life is so I thought why am I going to be mad about so I started cooking started taking pride in all of that and and that's been a really good outlook for me because I don't walk around angry at all the little things there are to do in life now so I guess I don't know how I got into that but just the idea of um I guess that's in a way being present
1: my my dad had a really beautiful way of describing. You know, you'd ask my dad, uh, "Hey, dad, how was work?" And he was like, "Oh, I'm just chopping wood and carrying water," <laughs> and he'd say that over and over again. And uh, and like I now look back on that and realize that he didn't resent things like uh, emptying the dishwasher, or putting things away. He just viewed it like, "Hey, we want to be warm. You got to chop water. You want to drink water? You gotta you gotta carry it. Yeah, you know, like yeah. you you got to do these things." to live and if you hate them you are the one that experiences that that feeling of negativity you're going to be miserable all the time
0: i had a a friend whose dad had a good saying about work too and he'd say you know what oh you don't like your job well the next guy that has that job is going to be the best one he's ever had
1: (laughs) yeah that's (laughs) true "Hmm." yeah
0: and so you know all these things and that's the curse of moving of of um the curse of rising standards too right I mean the things you have i i I try to get back to thinking like okay like think of me when i was 19 20 21 i remember vividly when i was 21 thinking like i really wanted land i wanted land so bad and i thought i'm never gonna have it how will i ever have it i don't have any money i don't even know how to get money and just was desperate well then you know now i have more than I, more of everything than I ever thought I'd have. But still, like, why isn't that enough? Isn't know? that
1: amazing? I was just talking with my buddy Keaton about this, and I, I pointed out to him, I was like, "It feels weird to say, I do I, like I have more now than I literally ever thought that I would have." I, like, we're not fabulously wealthy. I look around at the world and I say, like, I still got to struggle. I still got to go to work every day. I've still got to make money. Like, but like. I have so much more than I ever thought I would have, and yet I don't feel any – not even one iota more secure than I did then. Yeah, so – and is that good or is that bad?
0: Like, is the moment you feel secure, is that the moment that you just shut your brain off and you stop challenging yourself? Or is that the moment that you're free to live life – in a more lighthearted way? I don't know. I mean, and I don't think there are answers to these questions because I think it, it's, it's, as with everything, the answer is it depends. Um, but an interesting point about not, like I've talked to my friend about that. You know, when I was 21, I was so stressed out about it. He said, you know what? The difference between you and me at 21 is, he said, I just always expected to have it. And I thought, well, that's interesting because his upbringing was such that there was plenty He just assumed he would always have enough. Mine was less plenty, and I never thought I'd have it. So, um,
1: mine was that I screw everything up and I'm gonna screw this up too. (laughs) (laughs) That's well, at least you knew yourself at the time, right? Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I, my, uh, my, my Ben Anderson, the guy, the executive producer of this Mm -hmm. podcast, he always talks about, you know, I look at the problems I have today and I think back if if I had known two years ago that these would be the, the quality, the level of problems that I would have, I would be elated that that yeah. was coming. And I think about that and I'm like, you know what, that's totally right. My problems today are way better problems than the problems I had before. One of those
0: contractors that I started with, uh, Bill Dirks is his name, and he's just still a formative guy in my life. He's, I'm still close to him. And I remember, I mean, I was you know in my early 20s and we were in some neighborhood where people, big houses and people, you know, weren't working as hard as I, as we were working. So I automatically thought their life was super easy, you know, and I made some comment about, Oh, these people with their money and that things they're worried about. And Bill said, you know what? I mean, no matter who you are, how much money you have, your biggest problem is your biggest problem. And at the time that didn't land on me, man, over the years, I've thought about that. You know, it's like, um, yeah, one day you're trying to you know, figure out how to keep the lights on. And all of a sudden, you're, you know, mad at the guy because he cut the grass an inch too long. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that, and and I think going back to the wealth conversation, um, one of my friends pointed out, like, everyone is uh, poor at their own level, right? Because uh-huh. you get to a new level yeah. and you you now can see what's the level above you and suddenly the level that you work so hard to get to. And it makes it very easy to get caught up in that in that cycle of like, what is it that I actually desire? And to your point about like thinking about like, if I had all the time in the world, what would I be what doing with I it? Do? Would I be watching more Netflix? Oh. Like, you know, I think of Netflix as the old country buffet of, of your attention, right? Like, you, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, like they are gonna give you the lowest quality thing mm-hmm. that you would be willing to plunk down, you know, $12 for.
0: You know, and that's another crazy thing. Like, I, I, so I stop watching TV, stop watching movies. You know, I don't don't have any of that in my life, and I'm like, in the but I remember these shows that I loved, and I'm thinking, so am I missing out on something that could actually bring genuine pleasure, or have I cleared up space for doing other things of more value? And I think probably the answer, like everything, is both. Um, but you know, just the, I, the the entertainment-driven life, I guess, is something that I just have not taken to. Um, you know my interests are just they're hard. I mean, like my farm, I got a farm that you know got a lot of work to maintain. I hunt, and that takes work all year long getting ready for it. And climbing, um, you know, it's like misery until you have success. And somebody just made this point the other day. Um, I was talking about construction, it's like it's a hard business, and every everybody's work is hard. It's complex, you don't control a lot of it. The mistakes that you're made is something real and concrete that has to be torn out. And um, it's very stressful. And I call it retroactively um, satisfying. So like, you know, you have a year long project that's really pretty terrible and stressful. And then at the end, and people are happy and it's exactly what they want and it's there and you can see it, it's gonna be there for decades. And you're like, ah, you know, we did something here. And then you're happy. And somebody said to me, well, that kind of sounds like mountain climbing. I'm like, oh my God, am I seeking this in everywhere in my life? Where it's just like my head down and I'm like a, it's like a trench mentality. This what my dad always used to say, "We're like you're just slogging through the trenches and then you get to the end and you peek up and look around and then you go back the other way.
1: Well, and the thing that's become so apparent to me is like you, you must enjoy that work because work is most of what you do. And so if yeah. you spend you know, most of your time being like, I hate this. I want this to be done so that that way I can finally get to the business of living. Then you will look back on your life in it right. and it won't be, it, it will have been spent in a, in a time of misery.
0: Well, and so that's the value, you know, we're trying to teach our boys, um, you know, fighting against the culture, but that work is, work is good. It's not just work to make money. And this is back to the dignity of work that we were talking about, like with guys in construction. It's like, um, everything that is of value that is around you, somebody's work produced, right? And to think that your highest aspiration in life is to not have to do that, I think is pretty sad. And like, especially people start focusing on retirement, you know, um, now I, I know that it's good to have, set your sights on not being so overwhelmed or stressed and working towards that. But the idea that there's this goal, I'm like, oh, I can't wait, I got five years, I got seven years, I got 10 years, I can't wait to be done. And I'm like, so you're telling me like, so you're just gonna, the next 10 years, you're just gonna look past. Cause that's when you're gonna be happy. But I, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen people get, especially men, quit working and and something happens that isn't as, it's not good for them. It's like a yeah. slow, Ease and off of work, maybe over to have a little bit of meaningful work versus a lot is is a great aspiration.
1: But being done, oof, I don't think I want it. I was talking to a uh, a different guy that does wealth management the other day, and he said we have a niche, and our niche is people that work their whole lives and they retired, and then the dad decides. He doesn't want to be retired. He wants to go back and work. And now you have all these weird tax implications because you're making money and you're drawing money out of your 401k. That's and I funny. was like, is it is it big enough for a niche? He's like, this is so big that I think a lot of people will get into this realm. And it's because all these baby boomers were convinced that they their highest aspiration was retiring and there was nothing there for them when they got there.
0: Yeah, that's um, that's the, the, the entertainment driven life idea where... Um, you know, that if you're not doing that, you know, with your family or with yourself, pursuing a personal interest, that it's a waste of time. So I think that for our culture t- to write itself, I think that we really got to change that whole paradigm. And maybe it's maybe, well, everything can be changed, right? All problems that are caused by people can be solved by people, but it'll take a lot of time. And just that uh, valuing just getting up in the morning, like the guys that work for me. I mean, these guys uh, to they do hard work every day and they get up and they go there every day. And you can, like I said before, you can set your watch by them. I mean, these are honorable people that should be elevated. They should be like, ah, and I've told my boys, like these guys, like these are who you want to be like. I mean, you know, they're doing hard work every day, taking pride in it. Like they're an example for you. Now, I'm not saying you want to do that work, but take that mindset to anything you you do. And I think, man, you can be, at least you're not going to be miserable, miserable about working if you have that mindset, right? I'm doing something of value, and this is the mark I'm leaving on the world, and I'm going to do it well.
1: When I was working construction, and then later when I was a deckhand, and I was in the, I worked for paving crews. I did all of this. One of the things that I observed was that a lot of people. Even if they're craftsmen, they get sucked into the world of uh, alcohol because work mm. is hard and they need a break. And I remember vividly, t- like being on the ship and realizing there were people that they may be really high up in the in the ship pecking order, but they are stuck there because uh, they developed an alcohol habit mm-hmm. or they developed like different problems in their lives. And uh, it, it was like one of those things where I was like, what do I have to do to make it so I don't get stuck in, in, in this world?
0: Yeah, and the, the, the alcohol abuse situation, I think is, you know, I don't know what the statistics are, but maybe I'm just getting old enough to pay more attention. But like, it seems to be rampant to me. And in construction, I've seen a lot of guys succumb to that over the years and now succumb can also mean just living with that addiction for your whole life. Yeah, they just come to work with a hangover, and they make
1: it work, and they're functional, but it's miserable. Right. And, you know,
0: my family didn't drink at all growing up, um, so I can't blame it on my parents. But, you know, get into college, the culture is just driving you towards it. It's almost the natural thing. Like, this is what you do, right? Okay, I'm in college. I'm going to drink a lot now. and then, And then I think the stress of business as a young man. I I took to drinking whiskey a lot and I loved it. And then that was what was fun as it was associated with. And my friends were all the same. And, you know, you get all these get togethers and these patterns of behavior, these activities all connected to alcohol. And it was a few years ago, I started just thinking, oh, I'm going to ease back and ease back. And I made valiant efforts to do so, but I was never able to control it enough to really trust myself like in a social situation. And I don't mean like burnout drunk. I just mean like having too many and feeling crappy the next day. If you can go into it time after time and say, I'm not gonna drink too much. I'm not, you know, I'm just gonna have one, just gonna have two and then fail. Like, what does that mean, right? And so here I am thinking to myself like, okay, I'm this guy that likes values discipline and self-control and trying to be my best. And like, I'm gonna show this to my boys. That's not cool. You know, so I quit drinking totally uh, uh, August 8th of last year, um, which coincidentally then about a week later, my my wife, Heather, got diagnosed with breast cancer. And then we just did research on on breast cancer risk and alcohol use. So she quit drinking like two weeks after that, which she was never the drinker that I was anyway. But so anyway, the two of us no alcohol in the house and um, it's changed a lot. It creates some, you know, I, what I found was like all the social gatherings that I thought I loved. I mean, I just loved them, ate them up, couldn't couldn't wait to go meet people. And you find that you take out the alcohol, and I mean, it's, it's good for about an hour, hour and a half, and then that's about it, right? And so it's changed a lot in my life, um, but I feel good about it, though I'm still a little, I'm still missing it, let's put it that way. What
1: does it feel like to
0: miss alcohol? Man, you know you know, about the, our minds playing the tricks on us. Um, You know, I love, I like cooking and I'm cooking dinner and I just love drinking wine when I was doing that. And so what does your mind tell you? Well, it's it's a glass of wine. What's the big deal? Just have a glass of wine. And it's true. It's not a big deal, but I've proven myself of like a thousand previous times that I'm going to end up, you know, six months from now having too many drinks at a social gathering and regretting it. So um, I just I miss it's just a ritual, one of those things that you do. Um, I miss that. I miss sitting around a cabin hunting with my friends, having drinks, and just that relaxation it brings. But my my hope is that I can eventually reach the point where I can get to that relaxation and that without it. That's the that's the goal. Cause how beautiful would that be, right? If you can just feel that good without alcohol. So that's my goal. Uh, whether I'll get there or not, I don't know. But I'm committed to not having any because you just see the just the destructive effects in so many people.
1: Is that the commitment you made? Like never again. Never again. Wow. Never again. Yeah. And was this a solitary conversation you had where yeah. you like, I just woke up one day and I
0: just. And it wasn't like this scathing event or anything. It was just like, yeah, I always got anxious the next day. You know, I had too many drinks.
1: Did and, I say anything wrong? Oh, yeah, and, and the
0: answer is yes, you said something wrong because I'm always saying something. And, and like, um, yeah, and I just I spent so many years like that. And then you do damage control. You know, you talk to people. Hey, you know, sure I sure had fun last night. How was it? And I thought, this is stupid, man. I'm like, so I'm 50. I just turned 50 in April. I'm like, can you give be 60 and do that? Maybe, I mean, you're going to be 70. You're going to be having too many drinks. I mean, at some point, it, it, this is just who you are then. Right. And I didn't want to be that guy. So, um, so yeah, totally. And, and Heather, Heather's great with it. She, she, like I said, she never liked it as much as I did. And, uh, so she doesn't miss it like I do. And, but we've, um, it's changed what we do. It's changed our patterns of behavior and it's for the better. And, you know, the boys will have to make their own decisions as they get older, right? Um, they'll have to go through it. Because I think the whole culture is just pushing people towards alcohol use. But maybe it's my own little view of the world, but it seems like maybe there's a building movement to stop. Drinking. I think
1: there's definitely a movement right now in the, in the U.S. or in the West to, to slow down alcohol. Yeah. I think, like, I hear people talk about it more and more. And uh, I, I think that you can't do it in the way you did tobacco where you shamed everybody right. because people will reject that. Yeah. But, but I think that there's like, at least among the people that listen to podcasts and are trying yeah. to figure out, you know, they're Huberman or Lex Friedman or whatever. They're hearing these like ideas that like, hey, remember that study that you heard that resveratrol that's in red wine that's going to make you better? Like that's bullshit. Garbage. And the comparison between you know, drinking alcohol and, and uh, you know, one or two nights a week is way worse for you than you've ever been told right. to believe. And I think people are finally, like, op- have opened their eyes to this idea. And I wonder how much this correlates with cannabis becoming more popular and people making that trade-off. Because I'm a firm believer, at least in myself, like, if I give up one vice, I just grab another one to keep me afloat.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and that's an interesting question, too. And, and this is getting out of the realm of my, of any like deep experience for me, but it seems to me anecdotally that like pot isn't the same as it used to be, right? It's stronger. So, you know, back in, I remember in college making that argument, oh, what's the difference between, you know, pot and, and alcohol, alcohol is more harmful. And maybe it was, is it now? Is it, is, is it become, is cannabis becoming more troublesome?
1: You know, I don't know. Um, well, There's wh- some interesting things like, I, I've heard it said that alcohol, like, didn't used to have as much alcohol in it. Beer, for example, yeah. or wine, like, we have so bred yeast to be able to create <laughs> so much higher alcohol content. And then when you think about cannabis, like, everybody is is doing weed that's now pharmaceutical grade, right? right? Like, right. these guys are not joking around. They know if I can get that thing to have as much THC as possible, then when people enjoy it, they're going to remember it. And I want them to have such a psychoactive experience that they're going to remember the exact breed that I, that I had. And I think like, these are way more powerful than, than, uh, people understood.
0: And so in, in my outlook on like everything, I guess, that I'm trying to get to is, is, is like that, the idea of austerity, like, do you need all of these things? Do you need all of this? Do you need the alcohol? Do you need the drugs? Do you need the, the you know, do you need to watch TV so much? Do you need to have this particular food? Like, um, be why exactly am I seeking these things out, right? And that's the whole like digging deep and looking at the inner self. Also like, why can't you get to the point where you feel good without it? Um and so that's my own personal um focus now is just looking at everything that I do and trying to figure out like, um, yeah, is that adding value really? Or is it just a dumb habit that I developed years ago that I'm clinging to as part of my identity you know and so and you know some people i guess that kind of makes life i don't know it makes life complex and it make you know But i like that i like thinking about all these things and writing them down and just to me that helps me keep the wheels on the road um maybe other people just don't want to think about it that much and maybe they'll be happier than i am and not as troubled by all of these things and good for them then but this seems to be the right way for me to just feel like I'm at least always taking a step in the right direction. I just want to feel that way.
1: And when you say you're
0: writing things down, you journal? I, yeah, I do. Yeah. I like writing things down. And, and you, know, you get enough years of it, and you can look back and just see, like, oh, wow, yeah. you had some weird ideas back then, you know what I mean? Do you like going back and reading what you wrote? I I do. Every now and then I go back and I just kind of, to me, it's like seeing growth is what I want to see. Now it's not like I'm grading myself, but every now and then I, you know, I've got some moments I go back and say, oh man, that was a tough time. You know, I feel kind of bad for that guy right there. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I don't, I really understand that. Like it is so much easier to treat myself kindly when I look back on like, whoa, look at what like, like i was experiencing look at the thing that i was focused on look at the pressures that were all around and and trying to write those down you know one of the things that i've picked up in journaling over the years is um i don't feel very good about myself when i write like i'm the victim i try and write down things as though i are an i am an outside observer of my own life and saying like this is what's going on and uh and the act of writing that down I think is cathartic and then going back and rereading it makes me not wince because i have a few years of journaling where i like it's like oh woe is me and you're like ooh that does not feel good like like, (laughs) but like hey these are these are the things i'm facing these are the problems i'm trying to overcome and uh that makes me much more um much better able to feel like uh empathy for for the person that i was you know, another thing
0: that I do, so I have these, I'm a big list guy, and every day I got a to-do list. And then I, at the end of the day, I date it, and I put it in a file. Just for that, that's to protect myself from, oh, there was a phone number I wrote, uh, you know, two, two weeks ago that I forgot to transfer over, and I go get it. Well, I put these all in a file, and then each year's business gets filed away. And then um, every few years, I take these boxes out, and I go and I pull out these papers. And I, I look at like what consumed my life and this, and it's like, you know, I can see these people's names. I'm like, God, I remember, I remember the stress, but like, well, isn't that weird? It's all okay now. And they, and I, and I have nothing to do with them now and not in a bad way, but just like, it just, it's so weird. And then I burn them. I I put it in the burn pile and just like burn them. And, And like, it's cathartic, man. It's like this amazing thing I'm looking at all these things and these stressful jobs and all this and like this was my life in 2000, you know 2013
1: and yeah wow I I uh, accidentally go through my to-do list because I keep them all mm-hmm. but like it is a weird thing to go back and look at like oh, look at how I wrote that name down that I needed to call them for like three weeks straight. (laughs) Why didn't I just do that right here, right? Like I did it, I avoided it because I was scared of it, right? And like, I think my to-do lists are actually like fear lists, right? They're like, what is the thing? If you see something go on there more than one time or more than two times, it's because I didn't know how to solve that problem. And so I put it off. And I think if I could take that medicine even now, I could go look on that to-do list and be like, most of these are because I haven't sat down and been like the thing I, I, I started doing this with my two year old, almost three, is like when she's like, Daddy, I need help. And I'm like, No, you don't. You you can do this. And she'd be like, I don't know how. And then like, what would be the very first thing you would do? Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing that's you have great. to do to your to do list, right? Like, I don't know what to do, but what would be the first thing I would do if I if i were gonna get through this, my dad had a beautiful way for that so he, he so he sold appliances
0: at sears he lost his job you know when he was in his 50s um and got into the insurance and investment business and and so just a whole new realm where he found himself putting things off and putting things off and putting things off so he would denote tomorrow is a day of pain and he would just he'd go to bed thinking tomorrow was pain all day is pain he would get up in the morning today is pain And he would go to every single person that he'd been put, every bad task, and he's, this is what I'm doing today. And like, that's effective. I've done that some days, like, no more weakness. I'm taking charge. Tomorrow's gonna
1: suck and I'm ready for it. You know what I mean? So you're a person that your life is really based on, like, how do people feel about the thing that you built for them? How good are you at facing the music? Like, the, like, hey, how did you like that thing we built for you? Is it easy for you? Um,
0: well, it's 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 not easy along the way, but I like my deal is for people like I insist, like we will redo it until they absolutely are one hundred percent satisfied and love it. I said I can't have you like go through all this and then be like, you know, somebody say, hey, how do you like your house? Oh, well, yeah, we really like it. Well, there was this thing. I can't, you know, we can't have that. I mean, so like if you're, if, if there's any small thing that you aren't satisfied with, we got to talk about it and we got to deal with the pain it takes to get it right. So I'm, I'm, because I go through all that trouble throughout the process, in the end, everybody's happy. That's beautiful, it, 100% right? of the time. Yeah. 100% of the time. But in the process, Oh, I get sensitive. You know, it's like, um, when, what I, what a trigger for me is when there there's like a insinuation that I, that I didn't do what I was supposed to do. When I firmly believe that I did everything I was instructed to do, I get super sensitive. I want to, I want to fight about it. But I had an old guy tell me years ago that ego costs money and I'm like, Oh yeah, don't, there's no value in it. You're going to end up in the same, you're going to do what they want. That's where we're going with this thing. So I just float on the stream in that direction.
1: I mean, it sounds like you have the, the wealthy mindset in the terms of like, if we get this solved correctly over time, this pays off, but it's like in the short term, that's like so painful.
0: It's painful. And, and um, but, you know, our, my, Business relationships are, are based entirely in trust. Like, I haven't signed a contract. This is crazy, and people are going to think I'm nuts. I haven't signed a contract in, in years, many, many years. So, you know, you build a million-and-a-half-dollar house for somebody, and it's – I mean, I have a detailed estimate with all the specs, so that we all know what we're doing, but it's just a handshake deal. And, you know, people will ask, like, should we sign a contract? So if you want a contract, absolutely happy to sign it. You Have your – You can draw it up, I can draw it up. But I said, you know, the whole thing only works if we like absolutely trust each other, because there's that, we're gonna rotate back and forth. Like I could screw you at some point, you could screw me at some point. We're bound together through this process. And um, to me, trust is the only way it's gonna work. But I'm happy to sign whatever you want to. And most of the time, everybody's like, yeah, no, we're okay with that. And it's worked. So, what that means is, you know, as these things come up, and there are problems that will come up, you know, sometimes we talk about money to fix something, sometimes I just think, you know, talking about money right now is going to make somebody angry or uncomfortable. We're just going to do it, and then we're going to get far enough down the road, and then we just say, okay, here's all the things that we've talked about and that are different than when we started, and let's just work out
1: what's reasonable. And that seems to work for me. Wow! I mean, that's a uh, like uh, you have to be. The stronger your position, the more faith you can have in others. And it sounds like you're able to have faith in others.
0: Yeah, I just don't know any other way. I guess I maybe uh, maybe someday I'll get burned bad, but um, you know the process too is long enough. Like, uh, for instance, when people come to me like, "Hey, I want to get a bid for a project," I'm like, "Okay, well talk to me about what." what that means well i just want to get a price are you talking to other people getting other prices point is like hey i understand that what it costs matters and that you want to know that you're getting value with the price that i give you but if we're boiled down to numbers then that's really not my um that's not my niche right so let's spend some time. You spend, uh, you pay a third-party designer who I bring in. You get the plans drawn. I don't make any money on any of that process, but I'm just going to work with you for the next two years, getting this, shepherding this through to the point where we could get to a final estimate and start a project. And normally, if people are willing to do that with you, um, there's trust and you get the job, you know what I mean? But back in, now, when you start, you can't do that. When you start, you're out there just hammering out prices to whoever's gonna let you, let you give them a piece of paper. But um, that's not the way to survive forever unless you wanna play the volume game. And that's the thing, and you can't win in the volume game the big players will chew you up
1: yeah if you become a commodity then you will go down to the price of production right it will be as close to the exact amount that the materials cost and whatever you have to directly pay labor oh it's terrible and that's true of everything right that's true of cattle construction legacy interviews right if you are down to like we're just trying to do volume you will eventually get eaten up in that and it and it
0: and it chews up uh what's it it's kind of darkens their souls to some degree too like i see these i've seen these contractors over the years lots of times when i say lots i'm talking dozens um they start out good they're really good and you know they build their business same as i did and then they get a little bigger and they get a little bigger and then at some point market forces do what they do and then this guy can no longer treat people with respect that's working for him he's got to say hey this guy can frame it for 50 cents a square foot less can you match him and they do that to the framer and the drywall and the electrician and now even the subcontractors that used to do it used to care now they're like well, they're not being paid to care so no nobody cares through the whole process and like And they can go that way for years, but then eventually they crash and burn. You know these guys, and the the two thousand eight, two thousand nine. You know they all the big builders like that. They just disappeared in Central Iowa, and so um, I don't know. I just it's like there's two there's two paths. You're either going that way or you're going this way, and I chose um, trying to be individualize myself to have to bring value to people. And that's going to cost more money. But I don't know any other better way to do it.
1: Well, Dave Helen, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thanks for uh, coming all the way down here. If people wanted to learn more about you or your company, where would they go to do that? Uh, I've got a website, helenconstruction.com. All right. I'll put that in the show notes. Thanks so much for coming down. Thank you. Appreciate it.